The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjog All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjog All. Hello and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter for this show uh, as hashtag Big Data and hashtag CTR Live. Today's topic is Has Big Data Delivered Tangible ROI? And our guest for today's show is Dr. Nicholas Marco, who's a Chief Data Officer with Gesinker Health System. Hey, Nick, how are you? Hi, how are you? Very good. Thank you. And thank you so much uh, for being on our show. And we also have Phil Shelley, who's a former CTO uh, with, C- uh, with, with Sears Holding. How are you, Phil? Very good. Thank you, Sanjo. Oh, thank you so much. So, so the reason we wanted to bring back the discussion around big data, because of course we did a number of shows when big data was in, in as a concept, and it was we, we 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 had people start adopting it or at least toying with it, and people had some expectations, sometimes unrealistic, but they still were going with that innovation and entrepreneurial spirit. So we said, okay, let's give it time. Now that we have spent some time playing with it made some mistakes, tried some projects, like to just get a status on where and how much has big data delivered. So that said, let's start with you, Nick. When we see that big data was a hype cycle all along, and in fact, today also when we go out, a provider community says, oh my God, big data is going to make all the difference in the world. If you've not tried it, please go ahead and do it. And then there's, of course, internal discussions about that either. What's the true experience? What's truly happening with it? Well, I think uh, from our perspective, the fundamental question really is what do you consider big data to be? Because it depends on how you define big data to really talk about what the, the return on investment has been or what's the real experience with that. So in the healthcare sector, I think um, what we tend to encounter more is data of a variety of data types, uh, many of which are unstructured data types, many of which are flowing at a faster rate than the more traditional relational data types, this sort of thing. So that's kind of our version of big data. Um, I recognize that other folks in other industries and other sectors will have a very different type of big data that they work with, uh, and so their experience may be very different. And so I think the question that you're asking uh, is sort of fundamentally qualified by what, do you, what is your brand of big data, and, and what have your experiences been with that? So I think that's a real important place to, to start with this because everyone's experience, no two experiences are really going to be the same, I think, because everybody is using a slightly different kind of data, uh, and, and so that really colors the experience. So Definitely. That said, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that said, um, our experience with big data is that the healthcare sector in general, and Geisinger um, in particular, uh, are still very much uh, – getting into the big data 
process uh, and exploring all the things that we can do with it. So healthcare is sort of notoriously a couple of years behind some of the other advanced industries in its adoption of new data and new data technologies. Um, and I think we're moving the needle on that quite a bit by accelerating the pace at which we adopt these things. And it's been a real emphasis of, of mine and of Geisinger's to try and bring these new technologies online and facing our patients as quickly as possible. That said, um, we still have a lot to learn about big data in healthcare, and we're still exploring possibilities of it. So for us, I think um, we are very much, uh, we're still very much investing in it. Uh, I think we are beginning to see uh, some tangible return on investment from it, and we think there's a lot of opportunities that we haven't tapped into yet. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't recognize there are limitations with it, and in fact, the experiences of our colleagues in other sectors are helping us shape how we interact with the data and where we make our investments and where we look for our return on investment. Um, but at the same time, I still think there's a lot of opportunity there, both in big data methodologies and in tapping into those variety of sources more effectively than we have in the past. So, Phil, coming to you, since you have paid your dues in this field at a retail, uh, out like basically a retail uh, industry and also in multiple industries, you and your peers. So you're almost like a pseudo analyst to me who would have <laughs> had an overarching um exposure to what big data has been, how it is being handled, what opportunities have been mined, and, and to what degree is it living the hype that it was developed and launched with? Yes, certainly. And um, you know, since leaving Sears, I've been fortunate to work in almost, uh, almost all verticals, actually helping other co large companies typically implement uh, big data technologies. Um, you know, recently, talking about hype, though, Gartner has removed big data from their hype cycle, and that's, that's because, you know, I think big data technologies are becoming mainstream now. Hadoop itself is more than 10 years old. We have to remember that, almost 15, actually. So people don't realize that. It's not a new technology anymore. Adoption has become almost standard in large companies now. Even healthcare, uh, we're seeing, especially in the... Uh, some providers, certainly in the insurance and the uh, reimbursement space, uh, Hadoop is becoming well adopted. Um, the enterprise data hub architecture that uh, you know I've talked about many times has been being embraced now. And executives that were hesitant to adopt a modern data platform in larger companies at least, um, they were sticking with legacy, you know, maybe but expensive and constrained data warehouses. That's really changed dramatically in the last 18 months. Um, and, uh, you know, I do see now almost every, for example, with large data warehouses in, in companies, almost every single one with a large data warehouse that I know of has an active big data Hadoop project. I know of nobody, actually, with large data warehouses at the moment that hasn't got something going uh, with Hadoop specifically. And even mid-sized companies with uh, mid-sized data warehouses and, um, and uh, databases have proofs of concept or small projects going. You know, SQL access to, to Hadoop, for example, has become standard now and fully featured. Large companies such as IBM are really supporting the Hadoop and Spark ecosystem with tools and high-speed access. Architecture, governance, audit, lineage, which were very immature, uh, are now becoming pretty mature and something that uh, me and you know, my colleagues uh, spend a lot of time on. So it has changed significantly in the last two years. So, Phil, your response primarily focuses on the successes or the ease or the comfort with this new technology versus why in the first place I had to invest it because when it was brought to the table, it was not brought in as if I am putting a land connection there. 
or something like networking, which is a given. It was put in because we wanted to see this out of this world results and the insights which would fundamentally disrupt the way we look at everything within the company and, and, and our customers and our partners. So I will take this question back to uh, Nick. Nick, so based on Phil, yes, we might have learned the art or the science of big data, or I would say more the science, but the art of big data still lies in the disruptive innovation that you could have perhaps extracted from the churning and the analysis and, and those, those insights that you could have garnered. What, what, what happened to that? Right. I think that's a, I think that's a great point. Um, and what I would say is uh, when the big data hype started a number of years ago, uh, I think even the coining of the term big data sort of placed the focus on the quantity of information, on the way that information was handled, and on the idea of aggregating and putting things together in a different kind of stack, uh, a different kind of software stack, and a different kind of set of tools that we accept, that we access it with and such. Um, what's interesting about that, and I think it's why things like Hadoop have become almost synonymous with big data in the common lexicon, uh, is that it, was a, it came up as a very data-centric, information-centric sort of thing rather than an application-centric sort of thing. Um, and so I think some of the initial or some of the disillusionment that's coming from it, like you said, people said, well, we're going to put in these, these big data stacks and all of a sudden we're going to have fundamental transformations of the way that we do things, of the way that we look at our customers, our business, our services, et cetera. And people are saying now, well, geez, that, that hasn't quite happened. Well, I think that's because the focus has been on the data rather than on the use and the application of the data from the beginning. And so that's why I almost wish there was a term that was something different than big data because it's really just the data facilitating what you do with it. So that said, I think um, the the comments that were made just a few minutes ago about you know how two two and a half years ago was a very different ecosystem. That's definitely true in healthcare. Two and a half years ago, everyone was still saying you know we've got information and we recognize that there are different kinds that we want to use, and we're beginning to adopt this Hadoop technology uh, and 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 build big data stacks. Now um, I think that it has uh, become much more standard. Uh, certainly. The majority of healthcare organizations don't have a big data stack yet, although many of the large healthcare organizations that have been significant players in the data space, like the guys in the do. Um, but I think because we've been building them over the last, say, year and a half, we've had the, the advantage of learning from the experience of some of the others in other sectors who were earlier adopters saying, we're not just building a stack that manages data but we have to build our business intelligence layers and our semantic layers and train our end users and hire uh, analysts and hire data scientists and data engineers all as part of our big data rollout. That's very different than just building a new software stack. And I think that's one of the advantages that healthcare has to coming to this maybe you know a year or two or three behind some of the more, uh, more forward-moving people from a couple of years ago is we've been able to learn from some of those experiences. So in our own organization, as we're deploying and continuing to deploy more and more big data resources, it's not just about the data. It's about the people and the systems who are interacting with it and the, the insights that you can gain from it. And all of those builds and all of those developments happen in parallel. Phil, if you were to look at this whole big data, the way it, it started, what we were trying to do. So we might have started as people who really want to understand the value of data and then what you can utilize. But does it somewhere feel like that we turn into plumbers and making IT as the forethought versus the insights as the forethought? Or, uh, you know, basically what, what, what we see is we're talking about technology, we got the adoption, we, uh, Nick just spoke about the integration. 
Whereas when the, the last mile challenge is about what did you get out of all that hoopla that we did in order for us to create value, the last mile is where the interpretation happens and that's where the value gets created. How much of effort and or results have you seen at that level versus all the behind the scenes plumbing? Yeah, and that's actually an area where things can go well or they can really go wrong. Right? The use case selection is uh, of paramount uh, importance. So doing the plumbing is the basics. You said, you know, we have to do the plumbing, and in many cases that plumbing is going in place now with the right governance, security, uh, and architecture. Then the next layer becomes the use cases, um, and there has been false starts in many companies over the years because of inappropriate choice and selection of use cases. That's not true just in healthcare or financial services or retail or, or any. It's true in all of them. And um, and so I'm a big advocate of uh, for ROI. The whole topic of this discussion is getting a good ROI on these investments. Is the use case selection is of paramount importance. Um, because because choosing the right ones, we can see an ROI in in a year or two or months, even in some cases. And choosing the wrong one will mean there's no tangible ROI at all, and then management becomes disillusioned with their investment in big data technologies and practices. So it is extremely important to pick the right use cases. And uh, depending on the industry, there's some very good ones. Uh, from an IT-centric point of view, there are some very good ones too. You know, if you if you purely IT and not so business focused, the use cases are really around cost and performance and modernization, and there's some very powerful arguments there for modernizing and um, and reducing cost. And on the business side, uh, there is there is uh, equally good use cases now that can be. Um, uh, adapted from uh, industry to industry that will drive either revenue, better service, better outcomes in healthcare, uh, lower costs, reducing fraud. There's a lot, you know, I have a very long list. If anybody ever wants to see it, just contact me and follow, when you follow up, people listening. A uh, long list of use cases from a business perspective in different industries that, that will work. I also have probably a pretty good list of ones that won't work um, where we've seen failures too. So use case selection is extremely important. Now, let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Nick, when we come back, I'm going to build upon this use case approach or, or to how to very creatively and also intelligently picking up the use case. So do you wear the hat of a bean counter, someone who's going to be risk averse in terms of picking up the use cases? Because this is unprecedented. You do not have any example. And hindsight is 2020. That as an example doesn't hold true because nobody's done that before. So if you are going to pick up a use case, will you wear the mindset of a venture capitalist? That is, I'm going to try a couple of use cases and see which one works and as a, as a portfolio I will win. Or you will just sit there, hunker down and say, till I don't have a proof, I'm not going to move forward. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. 
it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Nick, bean counter or investor, when it comes down to picking up use cases where big data should be adopted and the value is to be you know, examined? Yep. So I think the right way to go about it uh, is the, the latter, the, the investor and the portfolio approach. Um, but I can, tell you, uh, I can tell you a story of how our organization evolved into that uh, perspective and, and how I evolved that perspective personally, because I think like many organizations, uh, the, the initial thought was to start with the former and say, let's try to identify one or two or three very concrete use cases uh, where we can do some very straightforward things that will have very clearly demonstrable ROI right away so that we can put something on the bottom line to show, boy, this investment is really worth it, right? So one of the first things that we, that we did was a text analytics-based uh, system uh, that we use natural language processing in conjunction with all of the dictated radiology reports that we get on a daily basis to identify patients who had incidental findings on their CT scans and other imaging studies uh, that might have gone unnoticed because it wasn't the primary reason why they got that imaging done, but it was something that was incidental that should be followed up on, could be a problem over time. And the truth of the matter is many times things like that can fall through the cracks. So what we wanted to do was, in an effort to improve quality, uh, use the technology uh, and leverage its ability to work with free text and unstructured data in conjunction with natural language processing to find these things, uh, to bring them to our attention, and to make sure that patients weren't lost to follow up on the incidental findings. That was built as a very traditional use case, uh, and you know we layered NLP on top of text analytics, and in fact, it sort of, you know, colloquially became known as, as our NLP project uh, internally. Um, and it worked very nicely in terms of a measurable ROI. Uh, there are clearly patients we could identify who we found things that would have fallen through the cracks. As we follow those patients long term, some of them actually did require treatment for those things. The fact that we knew about them in advance kept them from turning into a big complicated problem because we were able to treat them at an early stage, and we have a pretty decent idea of how to monetize that. So in general, we'd say, well, geez, what a successful use case. Um, the challenge is because it was built as a very specific use case and we had a very uh, specific focus on the technology, it became very difficult to scale on the back end. So when we said, okay, now what we want to do is translate this to 10 more things that are not all just incidental findings in radiology via NLP type use cases. We want to translate this into a broader spectrum of text analytics. We found that much of the architecture we had built for it was very purpose-driven, very purpose-built, and very hard to generalize and scale. And the learning experience for, for me was, even something that generally people would say, this is a good use case, this is a good selection of something because we, we measured dollars with it and we made an impact to patients' lives, and certainly I'm not doubting that we did any of that. But for me, it was also a suboptimal experience because it was just as hard to secondarily generalize that to something else. So 
what what I've really switched um, my approach as we as we do these things with our data warehouse and our analytics enterprise is I don't really think about things as use cases anymore. Um, and and I encourage the folks in, on our team who are developing developing these things to not develop for use cases and instead to look at problems that are prototypes of a class of problem that we want to solve. So whether that's integrating a variety of different data types for some patient-centric purpose, whether that's doing comprehensive text analytics, whether that's making a workflow for imaging analytics or genomic analytics. Um, Certainly, there may be a case that is the first thing that we do or the first test case of of what we're doing, but we're not building for that use case. We're building a prototypic solution that can be applied to one thing we've got in front of us right now, but just as easily applied to six more once we work the kinks out. Um, And I think that gets from the bean counter approach that you described at the beginning to more of a, of a portfolio approach because what we're able to do then is layer the specific types of prototypic problems we're solving and the individual applications of those prototypic problems across a spectrum of risks from the very stable to the very forward thinking but, but higher risk, higher reward type things. And that's how we move from being bean counters saying, well, I have to find something where it's going to easily put dollars on the bottom line because that's what senior leadership needs to justify the expense to let's build a, a comprehensive spectrum of solutions, some of which we know work, some of which we know don't. But at the end of the day, we have much better general ROI on the work we've done because we now have five or six classes of problems that we've made good progress to solving. So I think that that, is, that example sort of illustrates um, how we moved from the former to the latter, and I think it has, has changed the way that we think about doing these analytics and looking for uh, what we consider to be ROI. Now, your response very interestingly um, basically conveys a message, and it can be interpreted. I'm not saying this is how it's going to be interpreted by business, but this could be seen as a technology out solution or an approach versus a business in because if you create something which says okay it's going to be a generic enough solution and you'll have no use cases and instead we will use it for 20 other possibilities of uh, basically 20 other applications you're in a way could be perceived as hedging bets and and um, that could also create an issue with you number one building a compelling business case and number two actually be able to focus on something which you wanted to achieve would you think that sure. risk would still, you know, uh, will get yeah. so, introduced? Uh, yeah, I think I think you raise a good point. And and how I would clarify is just to say that to be sure we are hedging bets to some extent because that's a you know that's an acceptable and a well known risk reduction strategy. And I would rather have a portfolio of things of stratified risk than one or two things where I have all my eggs in one basket. But it's not just hedging and making a solution that has no use cases. It's in fact making a solution that has a bunch of different kinds of use cases. And what we're saying is, you know, I, I'm not making a general solution and hoping to find a problem to fit to it because I don't think that's the right way to do it. What we're saying is we know that we have six or seven or eight or ten different pieces of our business unit, pieces of, you know, clinical service lines, physicians, diseases, whatever that may be, who all have a problem that is structurally similar. And if I can build a solution that I can generalize to all eight of those, then I'll start with one or two, but quickly scale to six or seven. And to me, I think that's a better way to, number one, stratify and mitigate the risk, and number two, build something that I know doesn't work for a one-off use case, but works for five or six or seven things as soon as I get it right. So I think that's the difference between 
between a use case focus, a general technology focus, or something that's in the middle. I think we're taking something that's in the middle, which is a prototypic problem class-based focus. You know, Sanjog, can I say something on that? Because that's a very yes. important point. Um, that, that point is, is the central difference between the way we're doing things with big data approaches, big data um, architectures and tools and practices than we have historically done. In companies, not just healthcare generally, we've tended to do point solutions, individual use cases and, and projects, uh, in absence to a larger enterprise overall goal design architecture. And uh, that, that has sub-optimized the, the result for the entire organization, but it has optimized the individual projects. So you get a, a project with you know, very focused ROI and investment, but you end up with lots of data all over the place. Companies have data silos you know, from decades all over the place with duplication that has been caused by this project-by-project project mindset. And now we have not only um, an opportunity, but a, a really uh, a, a requirement when we implement these big data solutions to, to come up with a, a bigger picture enterprise solution that you still implement project by project, but you implement it in the, with a mindset, architecture, and approach of a bigger picture overall re-engineering and a modern data platform approach. For CIOs that are listening to this, this is maybe the number one point to take away is move away from point solutions, move into an enterprise data architecture approach and still implement point solutions with good ROI, but with the governance approach architecture of a bigger picture. This is probably the number one message for everyone. So, Phil, to, to the point that Nick made where you mentioned use cases are important, and, of course, uh, Nick mentioned that instead of taking a, a use case-based approach, build something where we would hedge bets, but eventually will turn out to be seen as, as venture capitalists who have a portfolio. What's your take specifically on that angle? Because that's directly 180 degree opposite to what you just said. That's not at all, no. I mean, you have, what I'm saying is you pick the right use cases that have a very high probability of success, and they're very important to the business. But you implement them with a mindset, approach, governance model that is big data enterprise-wide. So I, the two, this is why it's so fundamentally different to the way many of us as, as leaders have, have operated for decades. We've not done that well, and we have a data sprawl problem and a data mart and an analytics headache problem that has been growing for decades. We now are changing that. We have this enterprise big data view of, of data and data management and governance and lineage and audit, but we still implement project by project in a portfolio that makes sense with high ROI, high reliability on individual projects. But, but it's, it has to be done in the context of an overall approach. That is the fundamental difference now. Yeah, and, and I'd like to just sort of respond to that and, and, and agree completely. Um, and I can tell you um, from, a, from a practical perspective how we've seen our, our processes change as we've moved from, uh, from the one-off sort of model to this, this more enterprise-wide uh, prototypic, uh, you know, prototypic problem-type approach. So, uh, you know, as was being described five, six, seven years ago, uh, our development was very much on a problem-by-problem basis, and we developed a lot of very functional solutions to specific problems that worked very well to meet business needs, but the downstream consequences were that we had multiple copies of data, they were siloed across a variety of places, they were difficult to reconcile to a universal source of truth, because sometimes the solution to the one-off problem was to build a shadow database or copy some information here or there, rather than go back and re-engineer the parent source 
uh, database to be able to deal with the new use case. Um, it worked great on the fly. It was fairly quick, and it gave tangible results. But now, five years later, I'm dealing with all of the siloing and all of the data duplication and all of the lack of reconciliation that that causes. And it's a much bigger problem and, in fact, probably arguably a bigger cost than the value that was returned in the short term from the initial investments. And so what we've changed our, our thinking uh, is to one where we've got multiple workflows going at any given time, uh, and those workflows make up our portfolio of new developments. So, um, you know, as with many organizations, we've got more interesting questions and more challenging problems than we've got people who do data work to, to, to deal with, right? So every day I talk to people throughout the organization who say, boy, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that, I'd like to do that, um, and our teams bring all that stuff in, and we organize it, and we figure out which ones have the, the highest bang for the buck and where we should focus our limited resources and that kind of thing. But part of that thought process now is not just what's the bottom line going to be if I solve this problem. It's what's the bottom line going to be if I solve this problem, and how many other people have a problem that's very similar to this that I can take 12 weeks to develop this data flow for this one person and recover X dollars or make X percent improvement. But then over the next six weeks, I can implement it for four more problems and see that scale in a nonlinear fashion. So yeah, we've gone from just thinking about the former to thinking about both as necessary criteria for undertaking workflow. And then we create that portfolio approach that you're describing by having five or six of those workflows going on at the same time each with a fundamentally different risk set point for, you know, for, for how likely it is that that workflow is going to pay off. So I, I think that's, that's how we've done it. Yeah, that's very common, actually. That's the way to do it for sure. And uh, we source data once, but then we reuse it. These data hubs, we want to source data once, avoid silos, have it well-governed, well-managed, and then reuse that data. It accelerates projects massively downstream. We spoke about the word ROI in the beginning, and it, of course, depends on which company that you work with. However, the way the expectations are set, and then how do we manage internally and also the expectations all along to get to a certain ROIs when we get the thumbs up. It's basically, at the end of the day, agenda which are set by people for people. So when you talk about big data-related ROI, are we supposed to get some big bang or it should be a set of incremental, smaller, better mousetrap level uh, gains that we should expect from big data in order for us to be basically disappointed or uh, find that to be a pleasant surprise what we get as an outcome. Let's explore what's the benchmark we should set. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You 
are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Phil, should we announce that we will have this big bang ROI from the big data investments or we should not call it safely, but realistically stick to the incremental so that you have a continuous support and sponsorship and blessing from the top management and actually you can realistically deliver over and over? Uh, The answer is both. But when selling it, uh, we have to be certainly careful not to oversell that. that. So the the big bang piece would be, in my mind, uh, you know, massive organizational uh, efficiency gains, uh, cost cost gains, and then new business uh, or process improvements or products and solutions that we might sell. Um, Those do come, those big ones do come over time, but I'm not an advocate of... um, selling a, a big data initiative or a re-architecting of a data management system initiative on the Big Bang. Those are things that come o- over time. For instance, if you are purely looking from an IT point of view, then if you can re- take out your data warehouse or take out a mainframe or something, then the recurring benefit is you know, many millions of dollars a year in recurring benefit. They do come and are coming, but they don't come quickly. They come over two, three years. Whereas the projects that are well chosen, but they are done like we just talked, they're done in the context of, a, of an enterprise approach, an enterprise data management approach. If the projects are done in that, with that overall approach, the individual projects are the way to sell um, the, this whole thing initially because you can have clear ROI on well-chosen initial projects. But as you build out those projects, you are building out the, the, the big picture, big bang um, solution. You're collapsing data silos, you're making data more available, you're making analytics faster. Subsequent projects are much quicker, up to 50% quicker, because you are gathering data in one place. You are, re- you are replacing very expensive legacy systems, whether that be data warehouses or mainframes, over time. And when you do reach those goals, and I've been through several of these now, you do realize you know, many millions of dollars a year in savings and efficiencies and labor efficiencies and productivity improvements. But that's not, in my mind, the way to sell it. I, I think you have to keep that in, 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 you have to approach it with, with that goal, but not necessarily sell it that way. Nick, we sold or somebody bought big data as a source of innovation, disrup- disruption, and transformation. They did not buy that this is yet another piece of technology. And number one, it is not even a technology. It is more of a business initiative, if I understand correctly. And you can, you can yeah. kind of share your view on this. Yeah. So where, where do you see someone ever being able to produce a big bang ROI? What is that example? I have to yet see one, unless you can share one today. I have a few, actually, um, and it depends on the industry. Um, certainly in healthcare, there's been some. Um, around, uh, for example, Medicare and Medicaid uh, fraud detection, there's been big data initiatives that have paid off very handsomely over several years now. 
that were, were very difficult to do. Um, so healthcare insurance is happening in the provider side, uh, just uh, outcomes-based studies I've seen that have some tangible or significant benefits. In, um, in retail and, ad pl- and marketing and ad- advertising, huge benefits uh, already. I mean, millions of dollars a week for some companies in, in benefits with the move to e-commerce and mobility, especially driving the need for very rapid high-speed analytics on large data sets. Um, you know, if you, the mobile drive is, is very big across industries because if, you, if you're holding your, your cell phone, the last thing you want to do is when you press an icon on your cell phone is wait for an overnight batch job on a warehouse to produce a result, right? You expect instantaneous results. That is all directly – the experience we're all having on our mobile phones is all directly powered by these big data technology thinkings and approaches. It would be unthinkable not to have those today. Um, so there's many industries where th- there is large benefits that have come with, a, with this big overarching thought process around architecture, process, and mindset. But they've all been delivered incrementally project by project with that, underneath that mindset. Yep. Nick, and, and I would agree with that. And I would say that you're getting back to the, the comments you used to frame the question, um, to some extent, sure, the product, the big data product, has been sold to some people as some kind of panacea that will give you dramatic new insight into your into your company and into your, your clients and your business that you never had before. But to be honest, anybody who purchased big data on that and that alone should have seen it coming that they don't immediately have huge ROI. Because every five years or every three years or whatever it is, there's some new technology that's the next greatest thing ever. And whoever's making it and whoever's selling it tells you all the amazing things that it could theoretically do. But everybody knows that just buying the box or just buying the software stack doesn't actually re- you know, result in the return on investment, that you have to learn how to use it and you have to make processes around it and that you have to see it as a tool that enables new things. It's no different than if I went out and bought a Formula One race car and expected that I would be winning Grand Prix next week. Just because the car is in my driveway doesn't mean I have any idea how to drive it or how to race it. And anybody who buys it thinking that just because they own the commodity, they're going to be able to now excel to the tune of millions of dollars a week where they didn't before is, you know, it, it should have known from the beginning that that wasn't the case. Now, that said, I think those are some great examples of very significant return on investment that have come in a variety of sectors. And, and certainly the healthcare sector on the provider side and on the, I mean, on the, on the insurer side uh, and on the, the, federal, uh, the federal side has seen a, a lot of, uh, of, of real benefit from that. And similarly, the e-commerce side is a great example of, of these kind of things. So those are examples not just of having the technology, but in intelligent implementations of the technology. And I don't care whether it's big data or anything else. If you, you know, if you spend and invest in something, you've got a plan on investing in intelligent implementation because that's always where the ROI comes from. Now, when we look at the ROI itself and the way it is calculated, what is your formula? So, Phil, if you were to say, okay, I got this. So, is this soft is what is taking over the hard ROI? No. In fact, I'm I'm a big uh, advocate of not exactly not doing that. I, I really don't like soft ROI. I'll give you an example. Right, so there was a, a lot of hype a few years ago uh, around use, the use of big data approaches to social media ma- marketing, uh, mining for marketing purposes. So people would say, okay, I'm going to mine all this social media flow, and I'm going to make a whole new business or lots of profit out of it for my business. And um, uh, that has happened in some cases, there's no question. But is that something I would advocate in a company 
pretty much in any industry, maybe except the uh, the social media industry itself. Would you would you say that's going to be a big bang benefit from big? You know, it's not. It's it's uh, you have to be very careful with um, with uh, the, the selection of uh, how you're going to measure the ROI. I mean, the ROI has to be hard. It has to be clear. That's why if you're in IT, you know, cost savings, cost avoidance. Organizational efficiency—they they may sound really boring, but they are absolutely clear, uh, can be measured in down to the dollar, and they can be very short in terms of return. Same in marketing and advertising, uh, healthcare, right? With the uh, improving outcomes, they are more difficult, and they're uh, but they're equally easily easy to measure, but they're more difficult to achieve. But in any industry, there are selected that you can select use cases that have very clear and measurable ROI and are not at all fuzzy. And if anybody tries to you know, choose a fuzzy one, and, and I'm involved with it, I strongly discourage them from doing that because I don't like it. You know, going to a board and asking for money um, with a fuzzy business case is, is something that I've, you know, had, I've suffered in my long tenure um, from doing, and I'm, I certainly wouldn't advocate it. I, there's plenty of good ones available with hard ROIs. Nick. Absolutely. I just wanted to follow up on that, if I could, by saying um, I, I literally, uh, when we go to, to make a presentation to a board and you know, and say we want to invest in new technology, we want to add new people or skills to our data and our analytics stack, I mean, I've, I've got, you know, two pages or two slides. And the first one is all hard ROI, and it's very specifically quantified, and it's all of those, you know, series of sequential boring things that we just talked about. Um, but those are the things that get the CFO's attention. Then I've got another slide that's the soft ROI, and, you know, there's certainly some potential for some really innovative, really novel things there, but you also know that most of those aren't going to hit, and a few of those may, and that's the slide that gets the dreamers, the visionaries, the, the people that really see a transformation and an and innovative future. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the CFO who writes the check, right? And so if my first slide isn't good, it doesn't matter how exciting my second slide is. Uh, I, I don't end up with what I need. So I think I think that's, that's a great exactly way. right. That's a great I, way to do I, it. I in, yeah, I include soft ROI because it's cool and it's exciting. And that's, you know, if I have to pick something that I like to work on, sure, it would be those things because they're the, they're the fun and exciting and novel and innovative projects. But by the same token, if you can't clearly justify on something that you can clearly measure how this makes sense for the business, it's, it's never going to fly. Yeah, that's the right no, way No, interesting. Yeah, so interestingly, unlike other technology projects, big data actually has a significant contribution even from business side for you to realize the ROI. So why are why is IT alone or even chief data officers um, team alone is required to make a business case or sell it or, or produce the ROI calculation? This is a, a collaborative effort. Is there something done specifically with big data where you have business selling back to business to say, if I don't do it, this is where I will lose. So, so, so why is IT supposed to take the lead? Uh, IT doesn't take the lead. I'm, I think about half of the engagements I've been involved in the last few years, um, they've been business-led. Okay, which is good. So, Nick, when you try to go out there, how do you rope in the business right. people so that they do the talking? Right. So I, I think... Um, it's very. It's pretty common for. Uh, I think what you're describing when you say IT take, taking the lead, it's fairly common for IT or the chief data officer or someone who's associated with that data stack to be the one who's standing up in front of the board making the ask. Well, why? Well, it's because it's my budget that it comes out of, right? And and so I'm the one asking for the money. But I don't go into those talks 
without a series of business leaders from the various business units in our you know, in our, our, our company who are sitting at the same meeting with me or who produced written documents or who have spoken with the folks on the board to say, this is the specific business use case of what we want to do or the specific business implementation of what we want to do. This is why I think this thing, this set of servers and people to work on them and software and other such things are, are really something that's going to translate into what, into what we're doing. So um, I don't know if it's, if it's IT-led or data, you know, CDO-led or, or business-led, but what I can tell you is they work well when they're a collaboration, when you've got the person who's the tech guy saying, this is the tech that we need, and here are my six or seven or eight colleagues from the various business units who are saying, if we just had this tech, we could do A, B, C, D differently than we do right now. And again, if I can't sit down with those business leaders as I'm, as I'm planning to add this technology and say, what's the real practical use that we're going to do with this the day that it hits the floor and starts working, then maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree to begin with. So it should be very easy to find business leaders who want to use those things. And when I put the ask together, it's the combination of all of that. Is it usually me standing up there? Sure, absolutely. But I'm standing up there backed by an army of people from the value-generating parts of the organization who are saying, we're on board with this and we can't wait for it to happen and here's why. Let's take a quick break, listeners, and when we come back, let's talk about the very journey. So we can definitely say towards the end, we will have to justify ROI. If you were to look back at your respective journeys, fill in multiple companies that you may have dealt with or, or Nick in your organization, if you had to go back and relive that journey, what would you have shaved off or where would you have invested more in order to get the better net sum, positive sum as the ROI, which would have made the team look better? And of course, in, in hard numbers, it would have been a win. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network hp is proud to sponsor this program find out how the hp as a service solution for sap hana can help you gain instant impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Nick, in your case, if you had to relive the journey, what would you fine-tune to actually maximize the ROI you could potentially think would come out of a big data initiative? Sure. So, two things jump out at me. One is the place to start is from a strategic perspective. So, many organizations do not have a really mature enterprise data strategy. Many organizations jump into um, 
buying technology or wanting to say, I want to add a big data stack without having a comprehensive and well-thought-out vision for where that fits into what they want to do big picture with their business operations. So the place to start is not with saying, I want new technology or I want new capabilities. The place to start is saying, what's our business strategy and business vision overall? Where does our data strategy reconcile with that? And how do I need, what do I need to add to close any gaps between where we are with the data versus where we want to be with the data? in alignment with where we are with the business and where we want to be with the business. So number one, I think, is always start with data strategy. Number two is always think about people. So um, one thing you learn very quickly when doing this is that we talk about big data and technology and Hadoop, and if you go to any of the meetings or sales conferences or whatever it may be, you see products and vendors. Um, and so the natural inclination is to spend a lot of your time talking about which server, which vendor, which Hadoop distribution, how are we going to link this in the data center, what fabric are we putting it on. Um, if you spend uh, even a fraction of the amount of time that you talk about those things, talking about the kind of people that you're going to hire, where you're going to plug them in, what specific skill sets they're going to have, and really focus your energy on searching for the right people, you'll be much better off than if you make it a, a purely technology solution. So, um, you know, I, I, if I think about some of the engagements that I've been involved in in planning these kind of things, we may spend 20 hours talking about a piece of technology solution for every half an hour we spend talking about who are the right people to wrap around it. And that's not a good prescription for success. I think um, if you're not spending close to as much time talking about the people and the systems and the, the human resources and human capital that go into your big data stack as you are talking about the servers and software, you're, you're not going to get the most out of it that you possibly could. This is a very people-centric field, even though we talk about it as a very technology-centric field. Now, from a leadership standpoint, Phil, if you were to wear the hat of a leader, and this is type of a new animal that we dealt with, which we ourselves in our respective experiences of 20, 25 years, whatever that somebody was uh, having in their respective uh, career, something totally new, what would you do differently as a leader to maximize ROI? Uh, I think, um, first of all, leaders are the, you know, key to this because it is a fundamental change. It's an organization change, change management, as Nick said, uh, significant organization uh, and skill um, changes. Now, the technology piece is there, but it's not as, as important as that. Governance, security, uh, I think, uh, and audit and, and data lineage, data management are things that uh, in, when I started we didn't understand and a lot of companies still don't understand the implications for data governance, security, audit, access control, um, lineage. That is an area I'm spending more and more time on because as people get into this new way of thinking about data and new tools, those are really absent in most organizations uh, to the degree they need to be. So executive sponsorship and understanding is, uh, of these concepts is so important. I've seen grassroots efforts start and fade and fall and fail because there's not executive sponsorship. So sponsorship is right. Embrace these concepts of, uh, of well-governed, well-managed data and audit and lineage. Um, support uh, projects underneath that umbrella uh, that have good ROI. Make sure IT and business are aligned. That is essential. And we always talk about it, but in this case, uh, a lot of these projects will be business-led, and, and IT has to be fully behind that. I, I still see projects or initiatives in big data where IT and business are not aligned, which is astounding to me, but it happens. 
um, understanding the architecture, embracing this, this architecture of a single point of truth, bringing data silos that have been there for decades, bringing them together uh, early and in a very structured way is something that uh, we, we learned the hard way that is so important, but now it's, it's very important to think about the data architecture and, and data ingestion. Uh, and fear of change, you know, how do you manage your organization through fear of change? There's, there's both a leadership level and a staff level where people like what they have, they like what they know, and they believe they're safe in what they know and the legacy. And that is a change management issue that should not be underestimated. So bringing people along, bringing your organization along is, is uh, huge. And then picking the right use cases and tools comes last because either, although the technology is very important, it isn't the most important. Now, Nick, based on all the experiences and projects that you may have led and whatever the results are, what's the verdict of your executive management? Are they saying, okay, go for it, Nick, I'll support you wholeheartedly, or they are cautiously optimistic, or they are saying, okay, we're done here? Um, I think cautiously optimistic is, is the, best, the best way to think about uh, the best way to think about the response that I've seen. So I think when you start having some cases where you demonstrate clear ROI, where they can see that there's really something to this and that you're not just talking about a pie-in-the-sky solution, it keeps the, the, the attention of senior executive leadership uh, enough to say, you know what, let me listen a little bit more to what they have to say. And that's when that sort of second tier of things uh, comes into play about all of the very interesting, novel, transformative things that you could do. And I think uh, a good executive leader will say, look, if I've got somebody here or a team of people here, here who are presenting me something that is making money on standard business cases or at least paying for itself you know, through standard business principles and has the potential to do a lot of cool stuff that we really feel like is at least part of the future of this organization, then cautious optimism is a good way to, you know, is a good position to have. Um, and so I have not encountered anyone saying, you know what, forget about it. Uh, this whole big data thing and using all of our information, that's nonsense. We want to do things the same way we have for the last 25 years, um, at least not on the executive level. Now, on the grassroots level, there are a variety of people who say that without saying it, and that's where the change management piece comes in. And, and I agree completely uh, that a huge part of this is, is change management. So there's change management with the end users, and there's some degree of change management with executive leadership to set expectations uh, and, and to help them understand uh, what you're, you know, what you're presenting that is a, a business-driven solution and what you're presenting is sort of a forward-looking solution. But I think if, if, uh, if you're in a position like chief data officer or CIO or whatever that may be, um, where you're managing both groups, where you're managing the folks who are, are boots on the ground building the solutions and also sort of managing up to some extent with the senior executives, uh, you've got to tell that story across the entire spectrum. And I think if you can do that successfully, um, and certainly there are enough examples of favorable applications of this technology that one should be able to do that successfully, then I think you're going to get uh, uh, optimism and enthusiasm uh, that, of course, will be metered because I think good, good business executives always have metered enthusiasm for most things, even really good ideas. Um, but that's okay. I can work with metered enthusiasm, and we can do some really good stuff as long as you know the story is consistent, the messaging is consistent, and both ends of that spectrum, the, the, the grassroots side and the executive leadership side, are all seeing some favorable results. Now, one last uh, question for you, Phil. Wear the hat of an analyst and give your verdict on whether we should continue to wholeheartedly, passionately, and in an entrepreneurial and innovation spirit, continue to invest in big data, or we should become cautious? And no, I think we should already be cautious. <laughs> I 
I think, uh, you know, diving in headfirst, uh, and this has always been foolhardy, and, uh, uh, but using these techniques and approaches and tools uh, is absolutely the way that things are going and should be embraced for sure. So cautious uh, along the lines we talked about. Uh, strong leadership uh, at, at the top is paramount. Uh, an overall approach, an architecture approach, an enterprise data management approach is paramount. Uh, appropriate use cases are uh, selection are, are again paramount. Uh, if you ignore those three things, um, then uh, you can have a disappointing result. There's not, not nothing new, and you know, there's nothing new in the big data uh, area that we haven't done in IT for decades. It's just good practice. You you do the right thing, you do it well, execute well, get the right people, change management. Um, but is the, what the question really should be, is this fundamental shift of using big data techniques to manage and store and analyze data and to bring business value, is that really happening? And is it going to carry on happening? It for sure is. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind it's a massive change. It's going to be decades in maturing, not a, not a year or Ten two. seconds, Phil. And, uh, and that's it. You know, that's, that's, oh. that's the fact. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. And on behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, Nick and Phil, for sharing your views on whether big data has the biggest potential to create value and how we should go about harnessing the most ROI from this investment. A pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you very much. Thank you so much again. Please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and please be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 